of the World Game Live here on Monday the 8th of June. It's fantastic to have your company. I'm your host Lucy Zellish and joining me today to get to the bottom of what is the greatest A-League moment in the history of the competition are my illustrious panel. We'll start off with the man at the very bottom there, Fox Sports commentator and probably the best commentator across any sport in the country. It oh. is a pleasure to have your company here with us, Simon Hill. Nice to be with you, Lucy. Thanks for that uh, very generous introduction. I'm sure there's a lot of people who might disagree, but uh, it's nice to hear it. Thank you. Nobody here will disagree, and neither will a large contingent of the football community. It's great to have you with us here, Simon. And alongside him, it's also great to see you, Sydney Morning Herald journalist Vincenzo Rogardi. Vince, welcome to you. G'day, g'day. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Very much. Nice to see you. And again, alongside him, he's a multiple title winner with Sydney FC and one of the most experienced players when it comes to National Soccer League history. It's a real delight to welcome back a great friend of ours here at SBS, the legendary Clint, aka Butzer Bolton. Butzer, welcome to you. Thanks, LZ. Uh, happy to be a part of such an illustrious company. So, thank you. Great t-shirt as well, Butzer. Love it. I'll give everyone a view. Nice <laughs> nine kills. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Butzer, you are a massive heavy metal fan, and likewise you, Simon Hill. Um, can you tell us a bit about where this penchant and this love for heavy metal developed, Butzer? Uh, well, AIS has started, actually, back in 92, 93, when I was down at the AIS. <laughs> I think when we first went in, most of us were into, it was a really, the big techno dance phase in the, those early 90s, and most of us were listening to that. When we'd go to Holland, we'd buy all these CDs and bring them back, all these mixtapes, and that used to ring around the, the dorms there. But John Carter, I don't know if you remember the name, Jonathan Carter, Tasmanian boy, he um, was one of the boys there, and he listened to Metallica. And it was when the Metallica Black album came out. Wow. And Anna Sandman was on Rage, and I thought, oh, yeah, that, that's pretty catchy. He lent me the Black album, Metallica, and I didn't look back, LZ. From there, it's been metal all the way. And it's the best thing, just about the best thing I've ever done beyond football. What about you, Simon? Where did your love affair of um, heavy metal develop? Well, as you can tell by my grey hair, I'm a little bit older than Butzer. Um, so mine started way back in the late 70s. I think it was about 10 or 11 years of age. And a school friend of mine, uh, I, I was round at his house and he said, oh, I've got this record vinyl, of course, back in those days. Uh, do you want to have a listen to it? And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. I wasn't much into music at that point. And it was Burn by Deep Purple. Uh, we listened to the whole album, but that was the one song that I think was the first track. And I remember being utterly blown away by it, and particularly the drumming of, of Ian Pace. Uh, and from that moment on, I was, I was a big fan of Deep Purple. And, of course, that sort of spilled into the new wave of British heavy metal in the UK in the 80s. So Motorhead and Saxon and... Uh, later, uh, Gillen, I uh, liked ACDC as well. So, yeah, it, I'm, I'm a man sort of stuck in that time, unfortunately, with my music. So Butz is a bit more up, up to date than me, but uh, I, I love all that stuff. And, of course, uh, as you know, I, I now play drums in a heavy metal cover band. So, uh, you know, it's been a Green Man Alishi, get on them. <laughs> <laughs> Lifelong question. There you go. A good opportunity to plug uh, what many talents Simon Hill does have. Uh, I must give a final welcome to my co-host here today and uh, SBS resident journalist Nick Stoll, a.k.a. Stolich. Great to see you, Stolich. And uh, big props to you for actually organising today's comp. 
Uh, yes, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to get the fans' uh, perspective uh, to count down the moments. I had so much fun just going through the YouTube and, uh, you know, kind of reminiscing on these moments and researching them. And so many that, you know, Butzer played in and Simon was commentating. So I think it's going to be so much fun today. And, of course, Vince would have covered as well. I think we've got a great mix of guests here today. And, of course, to some of the most important guests joining us are you via Instagram. It's great to have your company, guys. The whole purpose of today's show is to incite some great debate, to really get into things and decide what is the greatest ever A-League moment. There has, of course, been a lot of negativity doing the rounds at the moment. It's been a very tough time for the game, but we're hoping that a brighter horizon is what awaits us at the moment. Um, we're looking forward to the fact that the A-League will potentially resume. We're hoping that everything's going to go ahead now that we've got a confirmed date and that community football will also be returning. So there's a lot to discuss. So get involved as best as you can. Uh, by all means, we encourage you to offer your views on what you believe to be the best A-League moment. We've already put out a, a call out for nominations as well. So for those of you that already submitted those, thank you so much. But as the show goes on, do your very best to chip in. And if you disagree, by all means, get on board and disagree. That's the whole point of today. But after the show, that's when we'll start to see the knockout stages of the competition really take place and take shape and that's when it's up to you guys the fans to vote on what you believe to be the very best moment um simon we're going to start with you but before we do that i know there's been a lot of discussion about fox sports and things uh you know of that nature i don't want to touch on that but what i do want to touch on is the exemplary job that yourself and everyone on the fox sports team have done uh since day one of the competition i think it's important to remember that and that should be one of the nominations in fact i've seen some of them coming through about fox sports and their involvement um i know it's been a tough time for everyone but for those of you on air and for those behind the scenes that have worked to put the competition to air for 15 years um, I think we all have to give you guys a round of applause because you've done all you've all done such a great job. That's very kind of you Lucy thank you very much um, obviously there's a, a lot of people involved not just uh, you know the on-air talent uh, that, that people sort of recognize more but a lot of people behind the scenes as well who've been involved in it for a long time so um yeah, it's uh, it's been a long journey and, and hopefully it's got a few more years to run yet. And, uh, you know, we can't wait to, to get back going again because I think we've all missed it. So, so we're going to start with you then in terms of your nominations. Uh, for those of you curious to know, we put out our questions to the panellists here today to ask them what their best three moments were and to also think of a few additional ones in the instance that we would overlap. But Simon, go ahead. What are your three nominations, which will make the first part of the list, including everyone here today, for the best moments in A-League history? Okay, well, I've, I've gone with sort of three uh, obvious grand finals to, to kick things off. Um, I wanted to start, I'll go in sort of chronological order. Uh, the first one is the 2007 grand final between Melbourne Victory and Adelaide United. Now, before Adelaide United fans say, well, that's not very good for us, I totally agree. Um, but in, in context, I think that was... Uh, one of the moments, and it was my first grand final, so it was special for me as well, but it, it was one of those moments where, where I really felt that the A-League had hit the mainstream. We had a sellout crowd, 55,436, uh, which stood as the competition's record crowd for many years until the Sydney Derby beat it. Um, and it just felt like that day was when we hit the mainstream, not least because John Howard, who was then the Prime Minister, was actually there to present the medals. And if you can remember, he, he got a kiss on the top of the head from, uh, from Christian Sarkis as well. Disrespectful. Yeah. 
But in typical Aussie fashion, you know, and I thought it, it wasn't just the victory fans who made the atmosphere that day, brilliant as, as they were, but there were thousands of Adelaide United supporters there. And the build-up to the game, I remember the victory fans did their march and they did the stop off at Flinders Street Station and they were all jumping up and down. And it just felt like something very, very special. Um, all right, the, you know, the game itself was very one-sided, but Archie Thompson, of course, wrote himself into the history book, scoring five times. And it, it just felt very, um, as though it was a tipping point that, that we'd moved over from being niche into the mainstream. So that's, that's one of the reasons I've, I've chosen that particular grand final. Um, moving on to uh, my second choice, which I'm sure everybody's got on their list, the 2011 grand final between Brisbane Raw and the Central Coast Mariners. Um, again, sorry, Mariners fans, because I know it didn't go your way, uh, but just the sheer drama of the whole day and th that incredible comeback by Brisbane and the narratives. And this, you know, this is what football is all about. It's not just about great moments on the pitch, but it's how the story builds, uh, particularly for us as commentators throughout the 90 minutes, or in this case, the 120 minutes plus penalties. And I think that moment where Eric Partaloo scores, and there was a lot of, you know, what's been forgotten, a lot of contentious uh, moments in the build-up because uh, the Mariners felt that Pedge Bowich had actually been fouled and it should never have been a corner, which led to that equaliser. And there was, we cut to the sidelines, that picture of Graham Arnold, you know, like pacing up and down, running his hands through his hair, what he had left. It was just such great drama and theatre. So I think that's a, a, a really good choice. Still, for me, is, is the grand final that probably resonates most of all. Uh, and my third choice is the 2015. I could have gone for a lot of grand finals, to be honest. But the 2015 grand final between um, <laughs> Melbourne <laughs> and Sydney FC. And again, it was, you know, it was a pretty one-sided game. But again, if you remember in the build-up, there was all this talk of... Uh, the AFL wouldn't let us play at Etihad Stadium. So we ended up playing at Amy Park. And I think that actually made it such a brilliant atmosphere um, because there was such a clamour for tickets. The, the noise was phenomenal. Um, and of course, you know, we, sadly, we had, we had drama at the end as well with Frank Lowy falling off the stage. So, you know, it, it had a bit of everything really, uh, including probably one of the best uh, midfield displays I've ever seen in, in a game of that magnitude from Mark Milligan. Um, he was up against Milos Dimitrovic, a straight one-on-one -on -one battle, and Milsey did not give Milos a kick that day. He was staggeringly good. Um, so that's something that sticks in my mind. So those are my three. There are hundreds more I could have had, and no doubt we'll discuss them, but uh, I'll kick off with those three. Do you remember where you were positioned, Simon? And I'm only mentioning this because it featured a lot from our fans and their nominations about Frank Lowy falling off the stage. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that's a greatest moment, but it was a very big moment, mm. um, a very terrifying moment. But do you remember where you were when that happened at the ground? I was on the pitch. I was about 20 metres away from him, to be honest. Um, and I was stood next to Mark Rudin because Rudes had been part of our... Uh, pre-game coverage uh, on the panel before he you know, went back into coaching. And I, I think both of our jaws collectively dropped. Uh, we, I wasn't quite sure that I'd actually seen it, to be honest. I think we were just all so staggered. Um, and obviously, you know, your first instinct is, 
is he actually okay? Because, you know, Frank was an old man. I mean, he's even older now, but, you know, that, that, was, a bit, that was a big fall and a heavy fall for him to take. Um, so for a couple of seconds, I think the whole stadium sort of collectively went <laughs> and held its breath. Um, you know, fortunately, he was okay. And I know, you know, it's a lot's been made of it since. But, um, yeah, probably, probably a lesson learned that very high portable stages are not, not the most stable things to put up. I'm not sure we've had one of those since for a presentation. <laughs> I remember actually being of a similar distance. And when I saw it happen, I didn't believe that it was real. It was such mm. a real moment that I thought, is this a joke? Is this a practical joke? It didn't quite twig to me that that's what had actually happened. And then once I realised that he'd fallen, I thought, oh, my God, like you thought, is he actually okay? Vince, do you remember that moment as well? Yeah, yeah. It was like, it obviously wasn't funny, but um, like a perspective that um, you guys would have missed out on because you were there and not watching it on TV was I was watching it on TV. I can't quite remember where I was, but the, the camera obviously saw uh, Sir Frank Lowy falling off the stage and everyone was like, hang on, did that just happen? And then for like a couple of minutes afterwards, the, um, the camera was pointed, I think, um, just at the stands or in just like a literal generic nothingness that was both, and it just made it even more surreal. It's a bit like, hang on, did that, that just happened and now they're not showing us what happened. So... They only, they only do that when something seriously happened exactly. that they don't want to show. So it was for a few minutes you were there I like, was, I was no really way. scared. I was like, and I, I think I was flipping through Twitter just being like, this hasn't just happened, has it? It was just, it was so surreal. Really, really strange moment. It was crazy. I, tell you, I, I also had my, my own nightmare moment at a grand final in 2012. People, I'm oh, sure remember I remember this. that, <laughs> yeah. I was in the press conference room afterwards. That was the most <laughs> awkward I've ever felt in my life, I think. What uh, happened, Simon, for those that don't uh, know? Well, I'd, I'd commentated the game and I was also scheduled to do the, the post-game presentation on the stage, uh, MC it. Uh, Michael Zapponi's done it for the, for the last few years and one or two other people. But I, at this particular grand final in Brisbane, I, I was scheduled to do it. So, of course, you know, I had to make my way down from the commentary booth down through the lifts, which was packed with 50,000 people there. So, I was, you know, I was delayed getting down to the, to the apron of the pitch. And I literally had a, a script thrust into my hand, which of course I had no time to read. I got up, put my earpiece in, stood at the lectern and literally got the floor manager going, right, you're on, going live to the nation in front of 50,000 people. So I, I dutifully you know, read all the stuff that was, was on my script, um, blind, as we call it in the TV industry. And then I turned the page, we came to the Joe Marston medal and I said, and uh, the Joe Master Medal, and I, and the winner was supposed to be written in by the organisers of the event, because of course it was a, an event, a medal that was voted on by members of the media, so they couldn't write it in pre-game, so it had to be written in manually. And as I turned the page, I saw that the the space where the winner's name was supposed to be was still blank, and that was a moment where I thought, Hey, League oh, baby, God. yeah, man, <laughs> what do I do? now and I, I took a step back from the podium and I, I looked along the line of dignitaries and one of them were, and it, look it's not his fault at all uh, Lyle Gorman was there he was the head of the A-League at the time and I sort of mouthed to him who won it <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and went hmm and I said who won and he sort of had a moment's panic and then he mouthed something to me now to be fair he might have said Burns but with 50,000 people around him I thought he said Broich. So, uh, okay. And the winner is Thomas Broich. Forward came Thomas, you know, 
everybody going mental. And I didn't find out for another 10, 15 minutes afterwards that of course it was Jacob Burns. I was mortified. Um, and look, to be fair, I, I made it a point to, to call Jacob the next morning because uh, Perth, of course, were angry, which is totally justifiable. Uh, so I called Jacob the next morning and I mean, Jacob's a mate of mine. He, he was absolutely fine about it, but that, it was just horrible. Uh, but as you know, Lucy and Nick and everybody else, that's live telly. Mm. That's live telly. My goodness. Any live any live broadcast that I've been a part of, I'm sure that there's been something that I've gone afterwards. Oh, gee, I wish I didn't say that or this could have been better. Or It's the, the, the curse of it We've all. all done it. Butza, I want to ask you, of Simon's nominations, the 2007, 2011 and the 2015 Grand Finals, which of those really stand out to you? Oh, no doubt the 2015, how was it? I think I was there with you and Foz and Strilla on the mm -hmm. sideline for SBS. And the noise was, it took me by surprise, to be quite honest, how, how enveloped I was in this atmosphere. It's, I, I never thought I'd enjoy a grand final, possibly, possibly more than actually being a part of one as a player. But to actually take it in, I guess because as a player, you're not really enjoying it. You're actually focused and you're narrowed and concentrated in on what you've got to do. So 2006 and 2010, you're not, you're not really aware of that atmosphere until the big moments or to, until the end of the game. But in 2015, dead set, I just soaked it up and enjoyed every single minute. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the game itself was a decent quality, particularly from victory. But it wasn't close, you know, in the end, you know, the scoreline pretty much summed up the match in a lot of ways. Um, but it is my favourite grand final. Uh, one of my favourite games that I've, I've ever attended in person and not played in. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, the, the drama at the end with, with Lowy and all that, just like everyone said, just put this real surreal moment at the end where it's like, where were you when this happened? type situation and and we were right there near where it happened and um but just uh, you just as a player you don't get to enjoy a grand final um as that often so it was just good to enjoy a grand final as an a-league fan um so yeah it, it was fun but the other two you know i saw on tv so yeah and i was still playing so i wasn't wasn't that fussed about the other two, to be quite honest. So 2015, no doubt, my favourite GF without playing in one. Wow. I remember that grand final. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. The atmosphere was just amazing. And I've seen a couple of comments coming through from the fans reflecting that as much. 2015, I've never heard an atmosphere that big. Um, and it was just outstanding. Uh, let's go across to you now, Vince, for your three nominations, please. Yeah, no worries. Um, I'm not going to, like, I just want to, uh, the three that I'll give are different. But for me, the number one. I reckon, like, without you can't argue it at all, in my opinion, is the, the 2011 A League Grand Final. Um, the, the Raw Mariners Grand Final, like, insane game. Like, if you were to script what, what, like a, what a spectacular comeback would look like, sort of thing, you'd probably do it like that. You'd have, the, you'd have one team looking comfortable going towards the end of the 90 minutes, uh, you know, the two, the two goals to get back into it, you know, in really big moments, a really tense extra time period. And then a, a, an incredible um, penalty shootout. That uh, fifty thousand people at Suncorp, Brisbane Raw at that time playing unbelievably good football. 
Um, and Brisbane only months earlier had like that stadium was literally underwater. It was a really big, big sort of time period for Queensland because the whole the whole southeast corner had been absolutely devastated by the floods. It was a really difficult time. And for a game like that to happen the way it did was just I was there and I can't like I remember the match report that I wrote was just like absolute tosh. Because like how can you possibly pull out something worthy from that game? Like I, I was I was very, very new to the game as well at that time. And I, like, I felt like my brain had turned to absolute mush. Um, but I, I don't think any, there's any A-League moment that beats that grand final for me. For me. What, do you uh, remember, what do you remember about the post-match press conference? From the 2011 grand final? Mm-hmm. Not much, I don't think. I don't even know if I was in the press conferences, to be honest. I think I was doing the mix zone or something else from memory. Mm-hmm. But it was the year after that was much more uh, memorable when um, they had to bring uh, poor old Jacob Burns into the press conference room to give him the... Uh, the Joe Marston medal. It was so awkward, man. He like you should have seen his face. It was oh man, he was so he was cooking, absolutely cooking. And then and then we had to go into the mix zone afterwards. Thanks, and, and like yeah, no worries, Jim. Um, <laughs> and then we and then we're in the mix zone afterwards, talking to Thomas Broich and just having to find like a really uh, you know nice way to ask him. Did you feel like you deserved the medal when it was when your name had been called? And he was he was cooking too because he didn't like the thought that. He didn't deserve it. Nice guy, Thomas, but that was one of the few times I've ever seen him cooking. That was at a that was after a grand final win. There you go. Sorry, Shim. You know I love you. Um, so my three. Um, we'll start with um, it, it's a it's a random game in the grand scheme of things, but but not for me. This was a few like the season after that amazing grand final, which was um, towards the back end of Brisbane Roar's unbeaten streak. Uh, so it was um, uh, early doors in the following season and Brisbane Raw won 7-1 against Adelaide United at Suncorp Stadium. Uh, um, Bessar Borussia scored a hat-trick in the space of about six minutes. It was, it was absolutely incredible. But it, it wasn't so much about the hat-trick and more about the football they were playing. And just every time they went into attack, it looked like they were absolutely going to cut Adelaide United to ribbons. It was Ange Postacoglu, Raw Salona, in its most distilled format. That 90 minutes was incredible. And the reason why I remember it so well is because at that time, I was still uh, at university on the Gold Coast and I would always uh, sneak over to a friend's place uh, who had Foxtel at the time to watch A-League games because I didn't, I didn't have a Foxtel. I was, I was a poor student, couldn't afford it. And so my mates, these, these study abroad students from, from Saudi Arabia, had Foxtel for Premier League and whatever. I'd always go over to their place to watch Premier League and to watch movies and to play FIFA and stuff. And these guys were, you know, uh, Saudi football lovers who loved Barcelona and Real Madrid and Manchester United and not much else. Mm-hmm. And I'd always have to go over there to try and convince them, hey, can I watch, you know, Adelaide United versus Central Coast or something like that? And they're just like, what are you doing, man? Why are you even watching this? This is crap football, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I just had to fob them off every time I'd go watch a game. Anyway, this game comes on. And they're all on the balcony having a drink or whatever. And I'm just like, lads, come in, come in, have a look at this. Just sit down and watch. And even their jaws dropped to the ground with just the football that Rossellona was playing. Just everything they did was spectacular. It was one of those games where you're just like, I can't believe this is happening, but I'm so, so glad it is. That game definitely has to be in the, in, in the top uh, top moments of the A-League history for sure for me. Um, second one. And you'll begin to sense a theme here, even though I'm South Australian. It's a heavy Queensland theme because of my time up there. But the first M1 derby 
uh, also at Suncorp Stadium uh, at the start of, I think it was the, the 2009-2010 season, round one. 20,000 people at Suncorp Stadium, which is, you know, the Raw has rarely got bigger crowds than that other for grand finals. Uh, but what made it sort of such a good day for Queensland football is just two Queensland clubs with a lot of Queensland players there. So this is Gold Coast United's debut in the A-League back before we sort of knew what we were getting ourselves into with Clive Palmer and everything that came with that. But at that time, we still thought that they were going to be uh, like a big club. And the team that assembled was fantastic. And the game, to watch a, a game, I think it was 3-1 to Gold Coast United in the end, but it was more about, okay, we've got a big big crowd in the house. We've got a new team who's rocked up and basically their first game played some fantastic football. They're going to be a big thing for the A-League. This is, this is a big moment. It really felt like it. Obviously, we were wrong, but at the time, it was a moment, so that counts. And I think it should also be mentioned how good that Gold Coast United team looked, especially oh. on paper, first year. Jason Kalina was coming in out of his prime. You had Shane Smeltz, who was probably the best striker in the A-League at the time. I, I mean, I remember living in Sydney and being excited about watching that Gold Coast United best team. coach at the time? Oh, Miron. Miron, <laughs> just, just an absolute quote. Gold. It was, it was a good team, but like the team, in my opinion, the Gold Coast United team got better in season two as well. Like It was a good good team to start with, but the GCU team in the in the finals for their second season, 2010-2011, probably actually should have made that amazing grand final against Brisbane Raw. They lost the prelim uh, to Central Coast. I think it was a one nil loss, a late Adam Kwasnick goal. Um, it just it, who knows what sort of road that club might have gone down if they got onto a grand final. But um, it got better and better as in terms of football. Um, penalties, wasn't it, Vince? I think they lost on penalties to the Mariners. No, I think I. I think they might have lost some penalties first season in the yeah. finals. Second season, it was an Adam Kwasnick goal and yeah, um, and, and a great game against Adelaide United in the preceding semifinal as well. Um, I could talk about Gold Coast United all day. I've probably made my token Gold Coast United reference, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, for my third moment, um, and I know, look, we're going to cover off all the obvious ones, so I've sort of tried to steer a little bit clear of that, but... Um, it's a moment from this season, actually. Um, the the first Sydney derby at Bankwest Stadium. Now I know uh, we'll probably get the you know the the Sydney derby with a big crowd at ANZ in there soon, and and probably some of the early doors ones at Parramatta, uh, a stadium I never got to go to, unfortunately, before the rebuild. But um, that was my first. Well, well, Canada's my first proper Sydney derby because it felt like one, unlike some of the ones that I'd covered at. Jubilee and, and other places, not Jubilee, sorry, at ANZ, um, I think were the only ones I'd covered before that. And Bank West was just on fire. Everyone felt like they were home in a way, you know. It, it had been a long, long time for Wanderers fans uh, to play out of Parramatta, to play a derby at their home ground. Uh, the RBB march before the game was, was spectacular. You could see that they were keen as well. The stadium itself, I mean, anyone who's been to Bank West knows it's, it's one of the best stadiums in Australia. Perfect for football. And when you've got a packed house in there with two, you know, uh, ends, a home end, home end and an away end in full voice going at it for 90 minutes, it was just amazing. The game itself, uh, completely forgotten who scored. I think Sydney FC won 1-0. Wanderers smashed them. It was, a, it, was a, it was a decent game of football. But in terms of a moment, in terms of an event, that was really, really good. And it's disappointing this season has gone the way it has with, you know, getting interrupted by Corona and whatnot. And now who knows when we're going to have a moment like that again. But um, for me, that moment reaffirmed sort of 
my beliefs in the A-League because it's been a, you know, it's been a, a difficult few years for the comp and for everyone. Um, but that moment was like, hang on, do you remember how good it can be when we tick all the right boxes? That was it for me. Simon, what's, um, what's it like commentating at Banquist Stadium? Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, I didn't actually do that particular derby. I wish I had because I would have loved to have seen it, Chockers. I've commentated there a few times since. Um, and obviously the atmosphere has, has not been quite as good. Uh, and That's something, without wishing to go into the you know, greater problems of the game, that's something we have to resolve. We have, we have to get that atmosphere back. Um, I remember, a, just to go off on a tangent, a, a derby... Uh, I think when Kerem Bullitt scored twice, legitimate goals, these ones, um, against Sydney FC, I think it was a game that finished 4-3. Um, and that was at the old Pertex Stadium in Parramatta. And I remember that the hairs on the back of my neck just standing up because the atmosphere that day was, aside of grand finals, the best I've ever experienced in Australia. Um, and I remember just thinking, God, this, this is just incredible. You know, we, we've cracked it. <laughs> of course, we hadn't. Um, but, you know, the, when Bullet scored, and I know there's a lot of consternation about flares and stuff, but the flare went up and the whole ground was jumping up and down. It was phenomenal. And that's our point of difference. That's what we have to get back to. Uh, sorry to say it, because those active fans uh, create such a noise. And I, I maintain in those first couple of seasons... I reckon 2,000 people turned up to watch the Wanderers to watch the RBB as much as anything else um, because, the, 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 you know, they involved the whole stadium. Uh, Victory had something similar, uh, you know, maybe a year or two earlier. And we were getting to a point where across the league, we were starting to really build that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we, uh, we self-destructed as we <laughs> tend to do. But uh, they're, they're great memories, some of those early derbies. You know, the Sydney fans in one corner, the Wanderers, the, the rest of the ground and, and the noise and, and the, the edge that those, you know, football matches bring. It, it's, it really reminded me of being back home on Manchester Derby Day. Smaller scale, maybe, but, uh, you know, very, very similar in terms of, of the feel. Stolich, you've been to Banquet Stadium and I remember actually us speaking in the aftermath and you said that it was by far one of the best experiences you've had in terms of atmosphere. Why? Uh, I think like everyone was saying, just the the whole day, the march to the stadium, it, it felt like it was the Wanderers homecoming. And, you know, the, the fact that they had their club back again, that the fans could do the march and that the, the singing was spectacular and the, the, you know, the flags, everything. Also Sydney FC fans as well. There was four or 5,000, like a really strong away section, which I think really helps as well because you're constantly competing. There was controversy with was the ball over the line or not. There, it was actually the, kind of the perfect derby because, you know, like Vin said, actually the Wanderers played terribly, but they got the win. And sometimes that's what the stadium wants even more, that we're not playing well, but against our biggest rivals, we will just claw and fight and hold on and get that victory. So it was spectacular. I remember going with a few friends of mine who were Spanish and, you know, they go to some A-League games every now and again, but they were saying, oof, this is football. This is football. You really could feel it in your blood. And yeah, like, like Simon's saying, if you have this every week, I mean, I'm going as a neutral just to go and just to go and feel it, just to go and be a part of it. And I think like just on the moments that we've, gone through already you can see one of the key things coming through is atmosphere at every single one of these games it's so important what's yeah. um i know that sydney derbies, derbies pardon me is something that are very special but how do the melbourne derbies compare from your experiences 
well, I was there in the first one, LZ, and and if you remember back when we were getting the A-League up and running, the PFA did a lot of research and they found that you need derbies for it to succeed. There was a model done, all the research, and the, the key indicators said develop rivalries within cities. For whatever reason, we went away from that. But finally, in 2010, we, we, we sorted that out with a proper derby in Melbourne. Um, I think one, just as, a, as an aside, I think one thing that the A-League's been very good at doing is sanitising the word derby down to a meaningless term just about. Um, and I'm referencing the distance derby here more than anything. <laughs> but, but we had a true derby in Melbourne, finally. And... You know, we went in, you know, I was playing for Hart, and we went in as clearly the underdogs in that derby, you know, victory, the weight of um, trophies, of, of numbers, members, crowds, uh, very well-run club, turning a profit, Hart, you know, the new boys in town trying to find an identity, and, and this was the perfect occasion to try and make a mark. And, you know, it unfolded that we did won that game and it really felt like this is a statement moment for the club and and it was a great great to be a part of again Amy Park just rocking you know we, we think about 2015 again that grand final but Amy Park is I you know High Marsh is brilliant as well but I think Amy Park packed provides the best atmosphere in this country um, in football terms and you had two sets of fans, fairly well even, the red and the whites, the dark blues, jumping, noise, and you had a decent game in the end. And Melbourne Hart, I think, needed to win that game. It just felt like we needed to make a statement, and we did. So the Derbies were here, and we didn't look back. I'd love to have been a part of the Sydney Derby as a player. You know, playing for Sydney FC for so long, would love to have played against the Wanderers, but that didn't eventuate, obviously. So... So the Derby's a special, the Melbourne Derby. I'm not sure when the Melbourne Derby actually peaked. Maybe when they played off in the grand, in the, the finals, you know, it was about four or five years ago. There was a finals match at Etihad that was half decent. I think victory won comfortably in the end, but it felt like a couple of those early derbies, maybe the one where Archie scored a late winner. That might have been around the time that it sort of peaked, but it hasn't quite been the same since I think but uh god love derbies huh without the derbies what are you thinking not having derbies at the start come on <laughs> as Simon said without getting too far into what's wrong with the game um <laughs> I want you to start taking us into uh what your nominations are Woods take it away firstly would you like obvious ones or the my sort of left to center ones we want your obvious ones first okay, okay here we go the ones that have to make the list yes well I've got quite a few clearly, and um, Simon has ticked off a few. Vince has gone on another another road altogether with the obvious ones. I can't believe Gold Coast got to mention in the yeah, but good on get him in there. <laughs> Fantastic. First one um, is the first Melbourne Derby, without a doubt. Um, and I just summarised that I think pretty well. It was it was a good good chance for us to make a mark. Um, I've got a list of the less obvious ones and a self-indulgent one is actually, I don't think it was, I can't remember which particular game, but we had an appearance from one John Bon Jovi in the Melbourne Heart dressing rooms uh, <laughs> during that first season. What? Um, 
Yeah, one of our contacts was big in the entertainment um, industry. I think his name was Patrick Pendergrast, and uh, he was bringing all these artists out to the country. He probably still does it. And um, one of his people was John Bon Jovi, and we had him rocking the Melbourne Heart dressing room before a match, and it was the most surreal thing ever, you know? The, the poor thing was, the sad thing was for the guy, he stands about five foot nothing. So all of a sudden, this guy that you've seen rocking all these videos and on TV just lost some of that allure because of the size of the man, you know? We're all towering above him. <laughs> um, so that's just a little aside. What game was it, Butzer? I can't remember. First season, uh, I don't think it was a big game, but I could be wrong. You know, my memory is it's pretty crap, so... Um, but Melbourne Derby, first one, definitely in there for me. Mm-hmm. And second one is Cahill, Tim, Timmy Cahill back into the country. Mm-hmm. And in his first match, I remember where I was when this happened. I was at the, the uh, Hobart Airport with the Melbourne City youth team. We just played a preseason game down there against a Tassie side in the windiest, coldest conditions ever. It was miserable. And we were all sitting around at the airport waiting to come back. And Melbourne City were playing victory in the derby, Tim Cahill's first match. And all the boys are watching their little screens, you know, just just watching the game. And all of a sudden, it just lights up. All the boys are like, what the hell? What's going on? I'm just kicking back, listening to the music. Uh, and what's going on over here? And it was a Tim Cahill goal. And, and they said, you've got to see this. So I had a look at it and I thought, oh, yeah, that's pretty special. <laughs> that is pretty special. Um, and he just does it all the time. Tim Cahill, whenever he's been called upon, whenever there's a moment made for a person to stand up and do something special, it's Tim Cahill. So that goal, it was just... And to add to that, the call from Simon... I think just encapsulated everyone's thoughts. We were just all blown away, taken by surprise. And I remember Simon went something like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> just like, it just encapsulated it beautifully. So, Butzer, Butzer can, I, can, I t- can I let you into a little secret and, and everybody else about that particular moment? The ball, if you remember, came out towards sort of, it was halfway line inside the centre circle and it sort of bounced around a little bit. And I momentarily had a little glance down at my notes. So I actually missed the actual moment when he struck that ball. No. So I glanced down only for a second. And then I see this ball floating, you know, towards the goal. And I've just gone, whoa. (laughs) So, you know, and then I had a moment like, oh, my God, was it? Yeah. They all ran at Timmy. So, you know, I, I knew it was Timmy. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For the grace of God, go all commentators. Well, that's, that's the beauty, Simon, and, and not to piss in your pocket more, but the moments, the big moments, the big goals are made even better, hopefully, by the call. And you do it so often. And hopefully you get to continue to do it for many years to come, like we've talked about. But uh, that was special. Uh, Timmy had arrived. He'd made his mark straight away. And what else should we expect, really? And I'm looking at my list here, and my eyes are drawn to one that doesn't get a lot of love, but 
I don't know why. And it's John Aloisi's goal in 2010 mm. in the Premier Plate decider. Last game of the round. Sydney FC v Melbourne Victory. Melbourne Victory, two points ahead on the table. We needed to win that match to, to clinch the Premier's Plate and then get the slight advantage into the doubleheader playoff in the finals. So that goal... Halfway, John Aloisi, mate, he can't run. You know, he's, he's a busted body. Never had pace. I think that served him well. I, I think he wasn't paid the respect he deserved as he surged from halfway. No one really came towards him. You know, he kept going. And then from about, what was it, 20, 20 to 25 metres, we don't see a lot of John Aloisi goals from that range. It, it just lets loose with whatever energy he had left at the end of that run and... It was just the perfect finish in an important game. And most of the best goals that I know in the A-League are not only quality goals, but they have context around them. They're important goals. Um, there's a storyline behind them. And that's one I think doesn't get as much love as, as other, go other goals do. So we won the Premier's Plate. We went on to win the, the title. That was off the back of, if you remember, John Aloisi copped a lot of crap the season before. Um, so it just felt like a really beautiful moment for him to finish that season because he got injured and he didn't actually play um, beyond that. I can't remember. He might have played in the semis, but he didn't play in the final itself. He was injured for the final. That was for sure. So, yeah. I think if we, if we had a league system as opposed to the finals that we have, that moment would be unforgettable because in terms of two rivals going at each other. That's Liverpool, the Arsenal in the 90s or whatever it was. That's yeah, 89, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, when I, I was there in the stands and actually the atmosphere, because I think the atmosphere was a bit nervous at the start of the game because it looked like victory were going to get the Premier's plate. You know, that brought a lot of away fans. So there was that feeling that uh, you have to witness your rivals in your stadium, get the thing. And then for it to turn around, Carol Kissel, I think, as well, scored an amazing goal in yeah, that game. And, yeah. <laughs> it was. Looped over Mitch Langerak, who we should send our shout out to, by the way. Yeah, um, so Mitch Langerak, who's just been diagnosed with COVID 19. So we hope that um, he's holding up okay. It's obviously a very scary and stressful time. Of course, Mitch, a father to a beautiful little boy, and we wish him and his wife all the very best going forward. We hope that um, he recovers from it as quickly as possible. So very scary stuff. But great memories and great nominations. Um, one thing I have identified before we move on to your nomination, Stolich, and I want to come to you on this, Vince, is about this idea of, say, we had Tim Cahill here. We've had many greats, uh, you know, come to the A-League and, and, and people that we've revered when they've donned the green and gold, but have we respected them enough when they've returned to Australian shores in the A-League? And I'm talking about the likes of Tim Cahill. When we had Harry Kuehl here, John Aloisi was vilified um, a lot in his role, but I'd just like to know from your perspective, did we give them enough respect while they were here? Uh, I mean, I think so. I, like, I, I, I agree that... Um... You know, they, they should be lauded for their feats for the Socceroos and, and all that. And I think everyone would give them the respect around that sort of stuff uh, as they deserve and, and, and post-retirement that they continue to get. Um, I, I guess there's been instances where A-League fans have, have, have probably been a little bit more ferocious than, than otherwise towards some, some former Socceroos who come back to the A-League only because they are there week in, week out to support their clubs and wanting the best for their clubs and they might believe that Maybe the player X didn't give everything they had or maybe player, player Y wasn't good enough um, at the time that they were signed or, or, or 
for the marketing money they got or whatever. And that's, I mean, that's, that's part of football a little bit. I mean, we should respect our greats. And I think we do a pretty decent job of that, I think, as a football country. But, um, like, uh, fans are entitled to, to, you know, vent their spleen when they feel the player isn't up to scratch or isn't giving them value or isn't trying as hard as maybe what they should. Um, there's only been a few instances of that, I think, in, in A-League history. And, and Johnny did certainly cop a little bit probably overboard back, back in the day. Um, but it's all part of the game, really, isn't it? And I think we're everyone loves Johnny A at the moment. Like, we're, what we're was that time? in this country. Yeah. Like it's, just... I, it's, it's always been a, a source of um, bafflement to me that... You know, people say, oh, the, the fans are hypercritical here. And, you know, this, this player gets so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. I, I worked in the UK for 10 years in the Premier League. They, they would put turnips on Graham Taylor's head. Um, and they would smash people from pillar to post week in, week out. Now, I know, you know, Europe's different, but, you know, there's, there's none of that here. Yeah. They get away very lightly. Yeah. And now, like, John Aloisi could walk down the street in Sydney and anyone who recognises him would recognise him with a hug and a high five and like a thanks for the penalty and, you know, thanks for everything else. You're an absolute legend. No one's going to come and give him crap because he might have had a couple of bad games with Sydney FC. People yelled out at the time and got it off their chests. And I don't think John loses any sleep about it. I don't think any Sydney FC fans even remember it. And if treatment like that is what discouraged a few Socceroos players from playing in the A-League when they had the potential to still do so in terms of their body and an offer on the table, then that's that's I'm disappointed for them because they didn't get to experience the A-League the way that I know it. Butza, before we move on to Stolich now, um, and continuing on the same vein, I remember Jelko Kalats came out and said, with respect to Mili Adinak, about the potential of him returning to the A-League, he said, don't come back because they're just going to crucify you here and you don't deserve that. And he also mentioned, um, you know, John Aloisi. As a former player, I'd love to pose the same question to you in that context. Have we respected these players enough when they've come back? I think in general, Vince summed it up pretty well, to be quite honest. I think if you return as a socceroo, not thinking it's a, you know, it's a, it's a late payday, it's a, it's a bit of super, it's a comfortable environment to come back to and cruise through an A-League season, then, you know, you should be fine. I, I think that's the basis. With respect to, to um, JA's situation, I was there. I was at the heart of it. And the season before under Cosmina, you know, JA copped a lot of crap because of his return, goal return, pretty much. It was, was poor and it was down. Um, considering he was a marquee, he was on really good money, Sydney FC. Um, but it went beyond that. It actually, uh, us older players, and the three main ones was myself, actually, JA and Stevie Corica, copped uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, um, a lot of crap from, from the fans, but off the back of a lot of reports written in the media that centred on us. And, you know, it's our understanding of the situation. It's unproven to some degree, but Mike Crockwell, who, you know, we greatly respect for, for his work and efforts with, with Australian football, uh, was good friends with John Cosmina, uh, who was the coach of Sydney FC. And a lot of articles we felt, and I certainly, well, I'll speak for myself, I felt at the time, Mike Crockwell was, was pretty much the, the mouthpiece of John Cosmina in, in his reporting in a lot of ways. And, 
And while I respect Mike Crockwell immensely, I felt like he may have compromised his principles slightly in these situations to, to just show one side of the argument uh, as opposed to a balanced view at times because of his friendship with John Cosmina. And off the back of those articles, which a lot of blame and a lot of focus was put on us, that's where I felt like the, the fans um, bought into that, read it, and then sort of got behind it in this, you know how it happens, LZ. There's prominent mouthpieces that say something on social media now, and all of a sudden you get that that um, mass behind it, and it just becomes more than what it should be. So that's what I think happened a lot with JA in that particular situation. So I actually thought quite a bit of it was unfair, uh, as opposed to, to what Vince has sort of reflected on before, which is more that in general terms is is his view is very, very much spot on. So, but in general, if you're coming back as a socceroo and, and you're coming back for the right reasons, you're going to put in, and we've had plenty of good, good socceroos come back and really contribute. And Steve Corica, straight off the top of, the, of my head, is a perfect example of a guy coming back and doing really well. I think Tim Cale's output for Melbourne City was excellent. Mm-hmm. before his falling out with Joyce and such, and he moved on. So there's there's plenty of good examples of Socceroos coming back and really doing well. Some great insight, guys. Keep it up. And uh, for those of you just joining us, it's great to have your company for our special edition of the World Game Live. We are looking to get to the bottom of what are the 32 best A-League moments in history before we round it out over the coming days and get to the best moment in A-League history. Nick Stoll, it's over to you. Um, and before you give your nominations, um, for those that may just be joining us, can you give an update on what are the, uh, the, the nominations so far on the list? Okay, so far. So this is not in order of uh, preference, just in what has been nominated. Uh, the first nomination was the 2007 Grand Final, victory won 6 0, Archie Thompson, five goals. Uh, second nomination was the 2011 Grand Final, that epic clash between uh, Ange Postacoglu's Brisbane and Graham Arnold's Central Coast Mariners. The third nomination was the 2015 Grand Final, uh, where Melbourne Victory beat Sydney FC at Amy Park. Uh, the fourth nomination was Raw's 7 1 victory. That's correct, Vince, right? That's the one where they played incredible football at the peak of Raw Salona. Uh, the fifth was the first M1 derby between the Gold Coast United and uh, Brisbane. The sixth was the more, one of the more recent Sydney derbies at Bankwest Stadium where uh, the Wanderers won that 1-0. The seventh was uh, Hart winning the first Melbourne derby, Butzer that you played in. Uh, number eight was Tim Cahill's incredible goal against Melbourne Victory in the Melbourne Derby uh, in his first game back in Australia. And nine was John Aloisi scoring an incredible goal from uh, about 25 yards out uh, to help Sydney FC win the Premier's plate against Victory. Fantastic stuff so far, guys. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, The remaining half of the nominations will be looking to the fans for that. So we, by all means, encourage you to submit your nominations and the rest of the team and myself will continue to discuss them as the show goes on. One thing I failed to mention was that we do have the capacity to veto one of the other suggestions. So if something comes through and we disagree with it, you can use a veto. Nick Stoll, Stolich, for your nominations. Let's go. I want to start all the way back at the beginning, the very first weekend of A-League action, because I oh, think I was honestly 14, 13, <laughs> I think 13, 14. That was, what, that was year, what year was this? 2005. <laughs> okay. I was, I was as well. Just yeah. by the way. Yeah. Okay. So before, you know, maybe before I was able to comprehend <laughs> some of the issues around the game, I was so excited for the first game. Uh, I think, you know, the, 
I'd seen the NSL die off that final grand final in the rain. Uh, you know, it, it just kind of it felt a bit sad that final grand final. And then for football to come back, it was exciting. The Socceroos were really good. It was kind of going into a World Cup year. But the first game that I went to was the Sydney FC, uh, Melbourne Victory. Butzer, you played in it, made some incredible saves uh, in that game. But it, I mean, talk about feeling like football had arrived. You know, it had everything that you kind of wanted. It had Dwight York. It was so incredible to see someone of that quality playing in your local stadium. Uh, he scored an incredible header. You also had Archie Thompson, who had a great game, scored an amazing goal as well. And I think that's kind of the perfect balance of the A-League when it's at its best. You have these marquee players from overseas, these big names like York, but then you also have Aussies like Thompson contributing as well. So it, it was a great day great atmosphere i still remember the ball coming into the crowd and a guy just heading it from the crowd straight back onto the pitch everyone going nuts just things like that make you just enjoy it so much so the first weekend uh lucy i believe as well you were at the first ever game in the a-league yeah i was i remember it it was it was back then it was called energy australia stadium i think it was simon wasn't it from memory yeah. australia in newcastle now it's called mcdonald jones stadium but the reason why i was there was because obviously my brother ned um was playing for the jets he had signed with them and you know a big selection of my family had made the trip up from canberra to, to go and watch it. it was against adelaide united um and it was and they lost by the way the jets did um i think it was carl v in the 19th minute ended up scoring but i remember being up there and we were there with ned and um he well Ned's wife and you know their daughter at the time um, and it was just amazing uh, you know it, it was incredible because you could feel this real sense of excitement um, there was this hope in the air but also this nervous excitement too because it was a new competition we'd moved on past the NSL era and we were looking forward to the future of the Australian game uh, and, and you could feel that genuine buzz I think there were about 13,000 fans that turned up that night um, but I was just really delighted to be there because I thought football's back baby um, and now with the promise of success and, and that's what it really felt like genuinely back then. Those were the good old days, um, you know, and I know that, you know, it's difficult to kind of look at where we are now as a sport and, and we've identified so many issues with the game and, and what we need to do to fix it. But, you know, talking about these you know, beautiful moments that we have had. It reminds you that it's not been all doom and gloom. We have had some fabulous sporting, iconic sporting moments um, for the game of football here in Australia. So um, that was a really special night for me and one I certainly remember, but it didn't make my list. But Stolich, I won't hijack it. Continue. Okay. Uh, I just, yeah, I think it was so, it was so hopeful that time. I loved yeah. it so much. And it was still, I mean, this is still a time, 2005, where at least as a kid, you were unsure how many people even liked football outside because we didn't have, you know, social media to connect with football fans that you didn't know. It was basically just your friends at school, in my case, at least. So to see a full or near full stadium, even I think they had to let the gates open because there was too many people outside wanting to get in. So they just said, all right, don't worry about having a ticket, just come in. It was such an amazing feeling just to even be uh, in the stands there that day. Uh, the second one that I want to nominate, uh, Butzer, you were there. Who could forget? I think, I think it's important in football to have villains. And one of the great villains of the A-League was Kevin Musket. Yes. And Kevin Musket had an unbelievable penalty record. That guy would always, always, always score penalties. Cut to 2010 grand final. One <laughs> all. It's been an incredible game in Melbourne. Kevin Musket steps up to take a penalty. It's guaranteed to go in. This guy doesn't miss. Boom. Clink. Off the post. Cut to Butzer. <laughs> you become a meme with that reaction you have that's an accomplishment to become a meme you know that right i often have this discussion now with uh, big redders post 
his heroics last season. And I tell him, mate, you know I'm going to be remembered for this shrug of the shoulders more than anything I ever did on the field. And his comeback is, what do you think I'm going to be remembered for? The wiggles dance on the penalty line. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is the lot. And to be honest, I'm not fussed one bit. If that's what I'm remembered for and so be it. But I remember, I don't have a lot of visceral memories of moments within football matches, but there's, there's two sounds that I'll forever remember during my career. And one was the head clash between Pedge Bowich and Bo Bush. I think it was about season three where Central Coast of Sydney and these two boys came together and it was just a head clash and you just heard this ring around the stadium. Both come out bloodied and it was just a massive head clash. And the second one will always be the sound of Kevin Musket's shot. I'd gone the other way. I, I didn't know where it went. And then I heard just the sound of it hitting that post and then the silence that followed. And it was just sweet as, you know, I quickly whipped around to make sure it didn't come off me and then go, go in. But I'll forever remember that sound and then the silence that followed. So, Who was the shrug to? Was it to teammates? Was it to musket? Who were you looking at when you shrugged? It was sort of like, well, this might be our day sort of thing, you know? <laughs> musket misc as well. It must be our day. That was the sort of, I think, sentiment that I had. But I can't really remember. Because you rarely, you rarely miss a penalty. I mean, I think, I think actually just on Mike Cockrell, I think Mike Cockrell actually labelled him the professor of the penalty kick because he was metronomic in the way he converted from 11 metres. I faced Muskie's pens plenty of times over those five years and I can't remember ever diving the right way. I could never pick him. Um, Didn't need to. Well, not in that moment, no, <laughs> thankfully. But uh, it was a guy that I could never get close to his pens. And I didn't get close to that one either. So, But it stayed out. So there you okay. go. And my uh, third nomination, which is a, bit, is a bit maybe not so obvious, but I really just I think I'll always remember this. It was the Wanderers' first season. And if you remember, the Wanderers didn't start that well. But then they went on this incredible run where I think they, they hadn't lost uh, I think it was like 10 in a row or something. And basically the Mariners were above them, but they had the chance to jump the Mariners and be first on the ladder. And from where they had started, which, you know, they were a new club. A lot of the players they picked up had been kind of rejected from the other clubs. So there wasn't, you know, it was exciting to have a new team, but there wasn't a great expectation that they would be such an amazing team. And I still remember the game against uh, the Mariners. It was the 80th minute, which meant that, you know, all the Wanderers fans were doing the Poznan. They took, I think, I don't know, 7,000 fans or something on the away trip. And if you talk to Wanderers fans, they love going up to Gosford because, you know, I think it's quite close, but it makes such a good atmosphere. But they're all doing the Poznan. And then I can't actually remember who it was who scores the goal. Uh, I, not Haliti. Haliti. It was Haliti, right? And he gets in and you can just see there's this amazing shot where Haliti shoots, but you can see in the crowd, they all start to turn around as they realize they go, obviously, they win 1-0. They go top of the table. They didn't end up winning, uh, you know, the title that season. But it just felt like, wow, this club has done so well. And I think actually one of the most exciting times in the A-League was when the Wanderers were introduced and all that they bring, the atmosphere, the success, especially the early on, the success. So that to me, because we're not talking Asian Champions League, which is obviously their greatest moment in their club's history, but we're just talking A-League. And that game, I always remember the Poznan, the goal, everything. So that for me is the moment.
Mm. Well done. Vincenzo, what do you remember about Nick Stoll's uh, nominations? Any of those stand out to you? Uh, yeah, sort of. What were the first two again? <laughs> Weekend of the A-League. <laughs> yeah, so I really, I, I remember that. I was, yeah, thanks. I was, I, was, I was a kid at home watching. I remember vividly, well, not so vividly. I remember the, the memory itself is vivid, but the details aren't of, of Carl Viet scoring the first goal against Newcastle. I remember that. I was watching that night. I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's do it. Adelaide United were obviously big in Adelaide from the last year in the NSL too. Mm. Uh, had galvanised the city in a massive way and uh, it was really exciting. Yeah, so that, that was a big one. And what was the second one? Uh, the second one was... Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I can still hear it echoing. Um, <laughs> so that, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, the Wanderers. Man, what a club. Well, I mean, can I, can I interject with another uh, nomination, which is one of the most obvious ones, but I can't believe... Four of us haven't come up with it yet. Or maybe it's probably one of your first ones, Liz. Maybe I shouldn't cut your mustard. Hold it, hold it. Holding, holding. Hold it, hold, hold it. it. If I don't, then by all means, come in over the top and, and add it to the list if it's that damn obvious. Hold um, it like I'm holding this piss. <laughs> <laughs> well, go for a break. I mean, it's, it's live, but, you know, what are we going to do? No, I'm waiting for the norms. You need to, you need to. Simon, I want to ask you, uh, what do you remember about that first weekend of the A-League? Well, I was still uh, working for SBS in those days, so I, I wasn't commentating, but I remember watching, I watched all the games. Um, and I remember that first game, Newcastle, uh, Adelaide, and just being really excited. It felt like something new um, and that the fans had bought into it. If you remember, you know, prior to that first season, I think Frank Lowy had actually begged supporters at, at the press conference, please turn up and support this new league. He almost went down on his knees. And in the end, obviously, he didn't need to because people were ready for it and they wanted it. So I, I remember the Newcastle Adelaide game. I remember the day after was, I think, Perth against the Mariners. Noel Spencer scored an absolute yeah. <laughs> beauty from, from long range. Um, I think Queensland Raw defeated the New, New Zealand Knights 2-0. Alex Brosk scored and there were 20,000 at Suncorp. And then on the Sunday, it was all topped off with that Sydney victory game with 25,000 and, you know, Archie Thompson and Dwight York and all that. I just remember it being hugely exciting because if you remember, this was a couple of months before uh, the, the double-headed qualifier against Uruguay as well. Um, and I think Horse Hitting had just been appointed or was about to be appointed. So there was, you know, there was a real sense of, of newness and excitement that uh, something uh, big was, was on the horizon. And of course it was, not, not just World Cup qualification, but, you know, that first season in the A-League, the crowds were good and it all, you know, was topped off with, as Butzer will remember, the, the grand final with 41,000 odd people there against the Mariners. So... Yeah, I just I just remember um, being as a commentator a little bit envious that I wasn't involved in that first weekend, um, but also excited for football. That uh, you know, because when I arrived in two thousand and three, the, the NSL was you know in its death throes really. And I remember, apart from us at SBS, as as I was at the time, you know, there wasn't an awful lot of coverage about football. And all of a sudden, the A League came along. World Cup qualifiers and football was front and centre. It was brilliant. It was like a, a starving man being given a, a you know three course meal. 
It's very well said, Simon. Um, I'll get to my nominations now. Uh, and some of them may be very obvious, but I think that they certainly have to make it on the list. And, and it's almost criminal when you consider that you only get uh, three nominations because there are so many great moments historically in the A-League that we could have nominated. But these ones, um, a couple of them are obvious, but then there's one specifically that means something um, to me because I was actually there covering the game and it was so spectacular to be there on the sidelines. And that was that 5-4 match between Western Sydney Wanderers and Brisbane Roar in that semi in 2016. That was incredible. Um, when Dario Vidosic scored that um, that winner in extra time, I just, you couldn't believe it. You actually could not believe what you were seeing before you. Um, you know, I was watching both of the benches, the, the, the crosses from Bash coming down to me. It was absolute chaos, you know. I couldn't hear him at certain intervals and he was saying to me, can you hear me? Can you hear me um, in the halftime break? Because we were trying to establish the connection because we were saying, wow, this game looks like it's got the makings of something really special here. You could feel the tension. The atmosphere was absolutely crazy. I know that some of you that um, have been watching us so far have written in to, to make that nomination as well, because it's certainly one of those iconic moments in Australian football history for me. But just being there, the drama of it, interviewing Tony Popovich post-match, you know, he's usually a very reserved and well put together guy, but you could actually just see the excitement on his face. You could see just how much of a relief it was as well. But it was also laced in with exasperation. He was just so exhausted by everything that he'd had to endure. And I think that spoke to so many of what the Wanderers fans were feeling. Brisbane looked like they had it in the bag. And you could feel the atmosphere start to deflate a little bit. But when that goal came in from Dario, it was like, wow, this is just on fire. Um, and that was uh, yeah, one of my favourite matches to cover. And I think one of my favourite um, games to watch. So thank you to everybody that's also submitted that nomination in because it's a real special one in Australian football. The second one, and this is a, a very obvious one, is the arrival of Alessandro Del Piero. I still remember, it was funny when we started to reflect on what some of the, the memories were and what our nominations would be, I still remember the particular headline that Sebastian Hassett, who used to write for the City Morning Herald, put up, and it was, Ciao, Del Piero signs for two million a season. And I just loved it. Um, and at that time, it was a record for Australian football of any sporting code, um, you know, when he signed for two million a season. But you just, you think about the magnitude of the player that we had managed to secure in the A-League. It was just epic, an Italian legend and someone coming across to the A-League. You almost couldn't believe it that we had a player of this calibre playing in Australia. But the, the hordes of people that arrived at the airport um, just to greet him, I still remember the scenes very vividly. Like you, Butza, my memory is pretty terrible. I don't know, Simon, you and I have had that conversation about what your memory recall is like. But, you know, I feel like with all the games that I've covered in my short, you know, career here at seven years at SBS, a lot of them have bled into one but there are certain moments that really stand out and I'll never forget that footage of Del Piero coming through and sitting in the editing booth and watching the guys in news chop it up and being like wow this is actually happening um so it was a landmark moment and, and something really special of course a lot of you have also nominated that as well which is great to see and my final one this, again, is a very obvious one too, but it had to make it on the list. And it was Kevin Musket v Johnny Colmina. Wow. Had to be in there for so many reasons. Um, and I, I loved actually researching it a little bit more to get some more context to see if either of the two of them had come out on the record. And they actually did. Um, Johnny Cosmina came out and he said, the ball rolled out. This is him explaining the incident. The ball rolled out between my legs and I bent over to pick it up, but Musket rolled in and knocked me backside over. As soon as I got up, I thought I could kill this bloke, but I sort of wanted 
to make this a bit difficult. So that's why I grabbed him by the throat. (laughs) It was initially that I wanted to really nail him. It was an impulsive thing. And I don't regret it because sometimes you just have to stand up for yourself. Um, And that in true cozy fashion and also in true musky fashion. But the context around it was that um, Johnny was saying that, you know, they were basically at each other's throats all game. Um, You know, they were starting to needle into one another. There are a couple of things that um, Cosmina took issue with. You know, he saw Musket getting like laying into Nathan Burns, who was a very young player at the time. And he was like, you know, how can you be getting stuck into this young player? Um, You know, leave him alone, Muskie. And it was just, you know, it was a great iconic moment. I think it's been something that's been steeped into Australian football folklore. So that's something that I certainly remember. And And I love it because, you know, I know it's a controversial moment, but I think that these are the things that make our game great. When you have these personalities that go beyond the norm of behaving in a very PC way and just showing their personalities and their true colours. This is what gives us as journalists storylines. It's what gives you players and the fans memories. Um, And for those calling the game as well, equally, um, I think it's a moment that, you know, it goes well beyond just football, but it adds to the narrative. Um, And that's why I've chosen these three. Um, My honorary mention although it has to be, this is an interesting one, it's a grand final that I covered, um, the Adelaide United game against Western Sydney Wanderers at Adelaide Oval. That was amazing. The atmosphere, you know, I was I was kind of begrudging going there, not because of Adelaide, sorry for all the Adelaide viewers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, can we just let go of that, guys? No, honestly, they still talk about it. Like, come on. They still talk about it. Talk about fanning the flames. Oh, but you know what? Let me let me just come out and defend myself. Actually, when I did say it, it was in jest. I never meant to cause any offence, but I apologise because it did cause. Piss Ant Town. But well, I didn't call it a piss Ant. Another moment. Vidi did. did. Yeah, that is that is a moment. That is a hundred percent a moment. That was massive. (laughs) Move on, Lucy. Move on. You're digging a big hole here. digging the hole but let me just languish in this hole for just a moment I actually like Adelaide the people of Adelaide are amazing and that's why I love this grand final because even though (laughs) even though I was begrudging going there let me finish my story all right I was begrudging going there because I was like no I don't want us to play a grand final in an AFL stadium this is a crime against humanity a crime against football we should not be doing this anyways it turned out to be one of the best grand finals I think what was it Um, Adelaide won 3-1 All the hype was on the Wanderers that season, right? They were, you know, predicted finally to win a grand final. Um, But it just, it wasn't their day and it still hasn't been their day. And especially under Tony Popovich, which was really sad to see. But I really enjoy that. The atmosphere was just amazing. Um, Another honorary mention was that game. This one's a bit left of field, uh, up at Coffs Harbour between Newcastle Jets and Melbourne City. Um, it was a, a hobble of a game to have to cover because, you know, you're going back into change rooms that were the size of cupboards. The players were all sweating in the background. But I just remember looking out the back and seeing all these fans sitting on the hill. And I thought, wow, they were packed, right? They were absolutely packed, the stands. But on the hill, it was heaving. And I thought, this is actually football to me. You know, it didn't matter. They were just all in there. They were eating their sausage sizzles. Um, that's that's what the game is to me, is people just coming and enjoying it. And it reminded me of the old NSL days, you know, and seeing us supported in that way. And that's very much what I think of when I see games being played at Jubilee as well. So um, they're my they're my nominations. Um, if anyone wants to veto them, just um, just try it. All right, just try. It. 
That was, that was a lot of nominations. It threw five in there. <laughs> they were my honorary mentions. They were my honorary mentions. Um, and if you want to veto them, just be careful. I might say something about your hometown as well. But um, I, want to go, I want to go around. I'm joking. I'm joking. Come on. It's only ever a joke. I want to go around. Um, Simon, to you, what are some of your honorary mentions, please? And what actually before that, what do you remember about Alessandro Del Piero arriving to Australia? What do you remember about that moment? Um, well, I remember uh, we, we were actually sent over. I remember his debut was against Wellington Phoenix, uh, yeah. which was there was a fair bit of consternation about that. I think a lot of fans were going, "What you bring Alessandro Del Piero here and you have his debut in Wellington?" Um, and I know that uh, we're having a dig at Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> Wellington's lovely. No, Wellington's a great city. Um, yeah. Although I have to say, I didn't go dress for the occasion. We, had, I think, we had four seasons in one day because we were actually sent over uh, to cover that opening game. I thought, you know, Fox felt it was it was big enough uh, for us to go over. So myself and Andy Harper went over. Um, he, he didn't play particularly well that day, and they lost two uh, 0 I think Louis Fenton scored one of the goals on debut. Um, and then I remember his home debut was against the Newcastle Jets where he scored that, uh, you know, wonderful free kick. And, of course, Emil Heskey was, uh, you know, playing for the Newcastle Jets as well. And, and there were, I think there was 35,000 people there at the SFS. So I remember that he, he, he gave the league an awful lot of hype, particularly in that first season, which was fantastic. Um, and it helped that he had Emil Heskey and Shinji Ono there as well. So we had three sort of you know, big names, obviously Del Piero is by far the biggest, but the other two sort of helped to sell the league. And I thought that was a good template for the marquee concept, really. You, you know, we, we've tried it sort of since with Timmy and, you know, Keisuke Honda and one or two others, but you, you can't sell a league on one player, uh, you know, to even to a, a market that's, you know, not necessarily in love with the game. So, I thought we missed a trick by not sort of following up on that, but that's besides the point. Del Piero, uh, for me, was was a, a pleasure to watch, uh, even at his advanced age. Um, he must have been a pleasure to play alongside for those young players. You know, what an honour to play alongside one of the greats of the game. Some of the goals he scored were phenomenal. Um, and just some of the little tricks he, he had as a play, you know, that he'd stick his backside into defenders and draw the contact. And he, he got labelled a diver here, which was a little bit harsh, but he was smart. He was such a clever footballer. And uh, I, I loved watching him and loved being able to, to call some of his goals. Real honour. Um, just quickly, Vince, what did Del Piero's arrival to Australian Shores do for us from a media perspective and the coverage around it? Oh, it was enormous. Absolutely enormous. Everyone, like, you know, the season beforehand, no one wanted to touch the A-League with a barge pole except us diehards because things were struggling. Gold Coast United were dying, was dying. Like, the club, it seemed like the league was suffering. The owners were making a racket all the time. It was it was bad. And then within, like, one off-season, the Wanderers come in, uh, Del Piero signs, Ono signs, Heskey signs, and everything's all good. Then all of a sudden, Buzz Rothfield is going into the RBB. You know what I mean? It's amazing what a couple of little changes does to the broader perception of the league. And the, the obvious one that I was talking about before, Lucy, that um, it's a separate moment from ADP's arrival, but it was that first game in Sydney, uh, Sydney FC versus Newcastle, mm -hmm. I think 35,000 or 40,000 at the SFS. Del Piero scores a free kick goal from outside the box, as he does. Heskey scores. I think Newcastle win. 
I think, or Sydney won. I can't remember. It was, anyway, it wasn't about who won. It was about what it was. It was a packed house to watch two superstars lead out two clubs in a good game of football. And I don't think the A-League has really been better than what it was that season, and in particular for games like that game and the first derby against the Wanderers, uh, in which ADP, I think, may have also scored. Uh, I can't from memory, not too sure. But yes. the, yeah, the, 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 the lesson is, I guess... Um, is, is how important personalities are, not just in sport in general, but in particular Australian sport. Um, no matter what the sport is here, we love st- like stars. We're, we're, a, we're a, a sporting market that is attracted to stars. Stars dictate things, it, whether it's Latrell Mitchell, whether it's Dustin Martin, whether it's uh, Steve Smith or whoever else or, or whoever the top soccer is of that day or the best A-League import. We need stars for any sport in Australia to reach its potential and to make cut through in the media. And that's exactly what we had in that season with ADP, Ono and Heskey. It was spectacular. Mm. Simon, your honorary mention uh, to throw in the mix before we start looking at what the fans have voted for. Um, My honorary mention, and to be honest, my memory was sort of jogged by Vince mentioning this. It's a a Brisbane Raw Sydney FC game where Bessart Richer, who for me has been one of the the great personalities uh, in the A-League, I I love him. I know people that you either love him or you hate him, Mm -hmm. but to me, when he's in that moment where the red mist descends and the eyes go, that's one of the classic A-League moments. And this game against Brisbane, uh, he'd had a running battle with Pascal Boskarts, uh, who was equally tough and uncompromising for Sydney FC. And as I'm sure everybody remembers, there was a little flashpoint. I can't quite remember what the flashpoint was, but all of a sudden, Barisha basically wanted to take Boscar outside the stadium and <laughs> take the shirts off and, and have it out. Yeah. Uh, and I was calling the game and I just remember it. But I was like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> Literally, we're going to run down the tunnel outside the stadium and start scrapping in the car park. Or something. <laughs> it was I think, but- I think as well with that moment, so much time in football, you see players kind of arcing up, but you know nothing's ever going to happen. That moment, you genuinely thought, no, no, someone's going to get hit here for sure. This is crazy. Yeah, great moment. I mean, not a football moment, but in as such, but just, you know, one of those, oh, my God, is this really happening? And I think people forget we've had a lot of those moments as well. Uh, the Muscat Cosmino one was, was one. And, you know, again, that drove the news cycle. The Muscat Cosmina story was news for a week the Boscart uh, Barisha story was news for a good few days we need that you need that controversy as well as the great goals the brilliant saves the important matches and uh, <clears throat> unfortunately we, you know we've we've lost that a bit mm, I couldn't agree more okay some more to add to the list now Stolich for you to make note of um, this without a doubt has to go in it's Riley McGree's 2018 scorpion kick as voted through by some of the fans. Um, a vast majority of you have actually asked for that to be entered in. And uh, and I know that it wasn't you commentating that game, it was Brenton Speed, but he did Sensational such a call. fabulous job. Sensational. Oh my gosh, he did such a great job in that moment. Um, and it perf- perfectly encapsulated it because no one was expecting that. And it was something that went global. So it was fantastic to see. Thank you for all of you that- Can I just in- interject that? on why that one is so good as well, beyond how good the goal was, but we forget that that got Newcastle into a, into a grand final, which at that point was just like mind-blowing. Like they, they were terrible for so many years and it's a shame that the VAR 
screw up in the grand final, you know, it may have cost them potentially a shot at a grand final win at home against Melbourne Victory. But like for those couple of weeks towards the end of that season where Newcastle made the grand final, all of a sudden Newcastle was the flavour of the month in football. We were writing profiles about Ernie Merrick and all these sort of things and people in the Hunter were loving it because it was their time in the spotlight. And we shouldn't forget that while that was a good goal, fantastic goal and a great call from Speedy, it was what that goal did for that club, which was also really, really special and should be remembered. Mm, very true. Um, another one that has to be mentioned, this is from Daniel Cormamond via Twitter. Uh, thank you so much, Daniel, for getting involved. Um, great to have your nomination. All he wrote was, Bullet still celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> Who could forget poor Karen Bullet um, scoring in that game, running over deliriously to the fans in the stands, and then it, basically the celebration went on. I think it was David Squires um, who, who summed it up perfectly in a cartoon strip that he did, and we had him on as a guest uh, a while back, Stolich, and we spoke to him about that very incident. Um, but, yeah, he, he celebrated for what felt like an eternity before he was told that the goal was offside. But um, does anyone have any objections to that one being included in the top 32 moments? No? Uh, that was amazing. I will, I will say that I am worried. We are giving uh, the power to the people and the people will obviously be the ones who vote on this and who finalise. We're narrowing it down to 32, but then the people will narrow it down to the best moment. I do have a sneaking suspicion that they might all decide that the funniest moment is the bullet celebration and they might vote it as the greatest moment. So as we give people the power, we say be responsible with this power. And don't vote Bullet the best moment ever in A-League history. You know what you know, was a funnier moment than that, though? If you can draw a parallel... In, sorry. If you can draw a parallel with... Uh, it, there, was a, there was a competition a few years ago in the UK to name uh, an ocean vessel that was going to... Oh, no. Deep, oh, no. Deep and the winner was Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> I mean, we... We know the we know the internet. We know the internet. We know how it's going to work. So I'm just I'm just saying I'm putting it out there that there's a high high chance that people are going to start voting this to number one. So what we'll are you going to do? What are you going to? A butcher shrug. What are you going to do? Huh? An, an honorary mention as we get to the pointing end of the program uh, has come in from Patrick Newell via our Facebook feed today. Good afternoon to you, Patrick. Great to have your company, mate. An honorary mention of Simon Hill saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, this is football in the 15-16 Western Sydney Wanderers game versus Melbourne Victory." Yeah, fabulous stuff. I still remember it, actually. Simon, you have an ability to not only narrate the game so perfectly, but to also come out with these succinct and perfect sayings that stay in the minds and, and memories of so many fans. So well done to you because you are just as much a part of this nomination list, I think, um, for, for so many of us. Um, Butza, another nomination from you, please. Yep. Um, first one, and I would love... and. and I'm not going to accuse anyone of contriving the draw, the, the top 32. So I'd love to see this matchup in the in the round of 32. Yours, LZ, of Cosmina v Musket, v, Cos, v Cosmina v Danny also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the Musket one is the infamous one. It gets most of the traction. But I think the better one was Danny also dropping the shoulder and collecting a coach on the sidelines. How often do you see that? around the world you know it's 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 pretty rare so i was actually on the bench for that one um because he had dropped me uh previously uh i'm not bitter <laughs> <laughs> you told all sorts to do it i remember i was at the end of the line the subs bench as far away as i could be and if you if you look at the vision you know if you if you're a tight group you know everyone's in it together 
if someone gets hit or one of your team goes down, everyone's up and, you know, I'm not sure too many people got up um, during that uh, incident, but I remember if someone asked for it, it was Cozzy in that moment because he baited Danny Allsop. That ball was coming towards the bench. Danny Allsop was just simply trying to keep it in play and Cozzy got out of his seat, walked over towards the sideline and just started baiting him, just trying to... I can't remember if he said anything, but I think Danny's just seen it and just lost the plot in the moment and decided, no, nah, I'm dropping the shoulder, that's it. And, and I think it was... I enjoyed it. I remember suppressing chuckles on the side of the bench down the end and then realising I better stop, put on a straight face because the camera might come on me any second here. That was my first thought. So I'd love to see that match up in the round of 32. Um, but we talk about characters, LZ, and this round of 32 needs Yubo in it. It needs oh, Yubo yeah. in it big time. And specifically the moment when I think he got suspended because of a training ground incident or something. Mm -hmm. And on the weekend's match, he rocked up in the middle of the Newcastle Jets active support with a microphone and leading the chance. That is A-League. To me, that is A-League. Great characters yeah. doing things that you just wouldn't expect. So for me, Yubo has to get in there for sure. Yeah. And um, I've got a few others, but uh, I reckon Terry Antonis. For mm. what happened in that semi-final, definitely, to, definitely. So we went to the hero. That well, was outstanding, wasn't it? You've well, got what a story sure. that is, isn't it? Just fantastic. Again, the call from Simon Hill comes to mind straight away. So that one has to get in. Um, we've had another nomination come in, and I think it's certainly something that we may have neglected to add. And it's coming from Hassan Bertan. Who remembers Orlando Engelar's crazy? Um, halfway goal that he scored. How fantastic yeah. is that? Um, I think. That does anyone dispute that making the the final list? Of uh, well, listen, we're getting pretty tight. I mean, we got to start having criteria. We got to start. There's been a lot of great classic goals. You know, I mean, I I had a few goals that I just want to throw out there. These are just goals. There's not so much the moment. You've got you know Tarek Elrich's incredible goal for Adelaide against Melbourne City where he goes from left back all the way. I mean, the defending wasn't great, but it was a sensational uh, goal. You know, you've got uh, Flores' goal, of course, mm -hmm. Marcos Flores uh, for Adelaide as well. And then he jumps into the stand as well. That was one of the best moments. So he goes past a few players, puts it top corner, uh, jumps the stands in, in with the fans. That was incredible. Nicky Carl for Newcastle against Adelaide. The length of the pitch, 89th minute, outside of the foot, top corner. There's been a lot of a lot of great goals. Carlos Hernandez victory so against Gold Coast. Are you vetoing Orlando Engelar's goal? Is that what you're saying? Basically, I think. I th listen, we're running out of spaces. I'm just saying, if we're going to put in just an amazing do it. goal, just veto it, man. Just do it. Gotta, I don't want to waste my veto. Ah, do it. Do it. Well, how many? Let, let let everybody know how many nominations do we have left? Okay, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nominations left. Unless we're going to veto some of the ones we've already put in. Um, no, I was close to vetoing some of the Gold Coast movies. <laughs> there was one. Yeah. Try to erase us, okay? <laughs> You're erased. It's over. It's done. Oh, That's please. We're one. back, baby. 
One that I'd like to really put in, and I think this is a really touching one, and it's come from Nadia D. Tanase, who's tuned in via Facebook today, um, joining our stream. Good afternoon to you, Nadia. Great to have your company. She said, the fact that the A-League started, football deserves its place in Australia. I really like that. And I think that that certainly deserves a nomination spot. Stolich, put it down. But first weekend, that's what the yeah, first that's, weekend that's, is. That's, 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 yeah, it counts. That's, that's that one. Does it though? I yeah, mean, we're not wasting yeah. two nominations, one on, on it's starting the, on and one on the first they weekend. Yeah. Not the first weekend and then the fact that the A-League was born. Are they not two different things? Nadia, great comment, but we will just put it in with the one that we already have. Okay, is that your veto then? I believe you vetoed it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we've got to wrap up, so let's make, make sure that we get to it. Um, any more from you, Simon Hill, to mention? Um, yeah, just one more. I know Wellington Phoenix don't get an awful lot of love uh, in A-League circles, but remember back in the day they got, I think, 32,000 people packing uh, the, the, the cake tin over in, in Wellington for one of their finals games when Paul Eiffel and Chris Greenacre were both in their pomp still. Uh, and I think, I think it was against Newcastle and they, and they won 3-2. I think it went to extra time as well. Crazy game and just, you know, proof that there is a lot of potential in New Zealand as well, particularly, you know, for Wellington Phoenix. Um, you know, maybe at some point in the future, we might even get a second team in New Zealand. I don't, don't know whether that would meet with people's approval over here, but uh, shows that there's, you know, potential there and they've, they've got a fan base. Mm, I think that deserves to make the list, Stolich. Yep. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. We need to represent all, all the teams. Or, or, speaking of, can I give a Perth... Uh, mentioned because I don't think we've had too much Perth glory. Uh, the semi-final penalty shootout last year. One of oh, the Adelaide. great... Yeah. Well, with Adelaide, the 3-3. Three, three. One of the great moments in football is always a goalkeeper scoring a goal. doesn't matter if it's in a penalty shootout, whatever. <laughs> but see, you shake your head. It's the best. When a goalkeeper scores in any form... If it's not it's a free fantastic. kick or an open play, then it doesn't really count. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the great moments in that moment was when the camera tried to go into the Adelaide huddle. I think just before the penalties, and it like pretty much goes straight over the the shoulder of um, of Marco Kurtz, who and turns did. around and is just like, oh. <laughs> that was so funny. That was so yeah. good. I want to I want to give Perth a nomination and that game in particular for all that reason. Liam Reddy, what a hero! And Liam Reddy, kind of you know, he's played for so many A League clubs, and then for him in kind of the twilight of his here to have that moment where he is just a legend. And yeah. unfortunately, they didn't go on and win it uh, the next kind of week Redders. against Sydney FC. Redders, you know, um, you know, Nick, the the amazing thing about that game as well, and people again forget this because of the way it turned out. Paul Izzo had to have an injection before. Uh, taking his place between the posts for that penalty shootout. I think in his hip or, or his, I don't, I don't know where it was, but he, I know that he had to go off the pitch, have an injection, came back on, made two penalty saves during that shootout, two really good penalty saves. And he's completely forgotten about it because Liam Reddy made three. Yes. <laughs> That's, That's incredible. Football. That's football. Okay, we've got six nominations to go. Um, Ivan Hemichovic, uh, Hechimovic, sorry, I should be getting that right. Hechimovic, he wrote in and said over 60K fans at a Sydney derby in 2016 at ANZ Stadium. That's pretty bloody impressive. And I think that certainly deserves to make the list. Record Five crowd as well. I think a leg record. record. Amazing stuff. Um, another one that came in by Instagram, Josh Long 90, Eric Parr to lose header in the grand final off the final kick of the game that sent it to a shootout. Now I know Stolich, yeah. you 
quite the critic of goals uh, being nominated, but uh, will you allow that one to slip through? Well, I we already got the grand final. We already have the grand final. So yeah. we, can't, we, can't, we can't double up. Chris Duzinski, the very first goal by Dwight York for Sydney FC with 30,000 plus fans and having to open the gates to let in another few thousand after the game started. The atmosphere felt like football had finally arrived. Does that count the first weekend? That counts yeah. first weekend. Great, yeah. great nomination. It counts yeah. the first weekend. All right. This nice. just shows that we're right. just in a good symbiotic relationship with our audience. Right. We what, what, and they agree. Or that you've developed a vague nomination and that it's basically covering anything else uh, one nominated in that first one. No one's come up with this one yet and it's got to be in there, I reckon, for banter reasons. Uh, 2018 New Year's Eve. Uh, I think it was um, Mariners versus Perth Glory. So um, let's count the reasons why this should be in there. Um, there are many. I was there. There, are there many. was a kid with a machine gun. Is that right? Yes. Oh, I actually was... saw him. I actually saw this kid It was a sniper around. rifle. Be accurate. Yeah, okay. Uh, there was an there was an osprey uh, giving birth in the stands, and so the like in the, the stand had, yeah like had to be so you couldn't go in that particular stand because there was a native bird. Um, okay, those two things alone would get this in the list. But then we have a forty minute delay because uh, the goal gets sort of knocked down by Tommy Michella. Uh, then we have um, uh, the goals with the wheels put on at both ends. Um, was this is this the same game where the guy with uh, the crutches? Uh, gets onto the field, or is that a no, different no, game? Different. That's a different game. Is this Sorry. the same one, Vince, where the um, the the kid stole the, the the corner flag so Timmy Kale couldn't? No, I think this is a different <laughs> one as well. All the the Gosford madness moments sort of blend into one for me. But um, like all those things with that, I, I, like I remember we, we were in the UAE, Jim, um, doing the Asian Cup, and I remember waking up. I think uh, whatever the day before or the day after, I don't know how time differences work. But I just remember looking at Twitter and reading articles about this game and I'm like, is, is this real? Is this really happening? How embarrassing. And I think it actually made uh, a brief in one of the UAE newspapers while we were over there, all the insane crap that happened in that game. That was peak A-League in the most hilarious way. That has to be in there. Yeah, I was, I was actually there at that game. I saw the little kid running around with his gun, enjoying himself, you know, and was absolutely devastated when they took it off him. His parents and everyone around in that box were just gobsmacked because you had this security coming up and telling him that he had to take the gun away. Then, of course, you get the fire. Why did you bring a gun to the freaking football? <laughs> a toy. It was a toy, you know. It was after Christmas. He was reveling in his gifts, I suppose. And then you had the fireworks going off as well. At the That's same time. right. Yeah. Everyone's attention was deferred to these fireworks. And I was quite heavily pregnant at that point as well. And I just remember thinking, mate, I just need to go home. Like, I, just, I can't. I just can't handle this. It was too much. But well well in there, Vince. It's a great nomination. Uh, more from you, Butza. Yeah, possibly, I think, the 2012 GF, when um, specifically the penalty decision at the end. Mm. The debate, you know, Football, A-League, how much debate it creates, I reckon none more so encapsulated than in that moment where, you know, I had this side, about half the audience, and then this side, half the audience saying it just wasn't a pen. And I felt like we still haven't come to any real good answer on that one, to be quite honest. But I reckon that moment there is, is a big A-League moment. Good for you, 100%. You know, I, I think we have because... Uh, I'll tell you the little story on the day, you know, I thought that Jared Gillett, who was the referee, had got that wrong. I'd, I'd maintained that it was very, very, very dubious. And the, the, the camera, the technology we had at the time was not quite as 
uh, up to the up to date as we have today. You know, we didn't have all the uh, the, the whiz bangery that we that we do in 2020. Um, and I remember we went to the pub afterwards because, of course, it was the end of the season. So we went and had a couple of beers to celebrate the end of the season. And Jared happened to be in the bar, and I sort of went up to him and said, "Oh, you know, sorry, mate. It's you know, must must have been a tough day for you." And Jared said, "I got it right. I got it right. Hundred <laughs> percent right." And I was like, oh. And then the next day, or the day after, Fox did some technological wizardry on on the actual pictures, and and sort of zoomed in as far as you possibly could. And there is a touch from Liam Miller on Bessart yeah. Pressure. He absolutely got it right. No, my wow. point is, contact alone doesn't mean there's a pen. I don't think, I don't doubt there was a contact at all. I, I saw it in my balance. But, but not there's contact that impedes. Hey, look at you two. You're going at it already. We're just talking exactly. about it. That's, this is exactly <laughs> the reason. It's in. It's in. Yeah. Yeah. It's in. It's in. You can veto. Remember, you got a veto. How many more have we got left? By my count, that's four or three. I think we have three left. Three, three left. Stations left. Um, here's an interesting one that's come from Vincent Conway via Twitter. Anything Thomas Broich did. Mm. What's Thomas Broich's best A League moment? Because Thomas Broich, I, I would say, is the best. Go, Butter. Playing the guitar in the dressing room. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Th there's not one singular Thomas Broich moment that comes to mind for me. He was just in everything at Barcelona at their peak. You know mm. what I mean? Like he was basically making all that stuff happen. So there's nothing that comes to mind other than just a lot of games where Brisbane Roar were killing it. What about Brisbane Roar's unbeaten run? Has that made it into the the final mix? That has to be there. Well, <laughs> depends how we classify this because I got the seven one in there, so that's like the thirty second game. But no, that's I, not the moment, so it's got to be the moment when they got 36, the right? Yes. Run. It's got to be the whole run. Well, let's, let's go. It's a long moment. Can I, can I put in a little story about the game that Brisbane lost their 36 uh, game on beating wrong was at Jubilee Stadium in, in Sydney. They lost, but my, this, this story, you, you reckon you've had PK League, Vince? No, this is PK League, right? <laughs> So Ange Postacoglu is probably the most recognisable uh, coaching figure in the country, even at that point. He'd just taken his team, 36 game unbeaten. They were back-to-back -back champions, best team in the country. Everybody knew. So in the build-up to this game, he, he, we're in the tunnel area at Jubilee Stadium, myself and Andy Harper, and Ange sort of wandered out and leant against the fence that separated the tunnel from the stand uh, and we were just chewing the fat, having a bit of a chin wag. And at this moment, uh, a very flustered young woman came up with a whole trail of kids in behind her who were clearly going to be ball boys on the day. And she had no idea where she was supposed to take the, the ball boys. So she came rushing up to the fence and tapped Ange on the, on the shoulder and said, excuse me, excuse me, That's do you know where I have to take these ball boys? Because they've been here for half an hour and nobody seems to be able to tell me, can you please let me know where I'm supposed to take them? She was really agitated and just sort of smiled at her and said, oh, I got no God. idea, love. And then he turned back to me and Andy and said, with, and he wasn't trying to be big-headed about this. He said, do you reckon Sir Alex Ferguson has to do that sort of stuff? <laughs> <laughs> it's the beauty of the A-League.
Oh, Beauty of oh, the K League. That, that definitely their 36 game unbeaten run, it has to be included. We've now rounded it down to two more nominations. Guys, tuning in via Facebook, if you have any other left of field nominations or any other obvious ones that you think we may have missed, by all means, now's the time to do it as we look, as I said earlier, towards the pointy end of the program and we look to wrap up. Butzer, any more from you to add while we're looking to um, close this out? No, I'm quite happy to leave the last two to the fans, to be can, honest. Can I throw in a very recent one? Yes. Uh, Muhammad Torre scoring and becoming the youngest ever player uh, to do so. Uh, Oh, Butza, you want to veto that? Can I make the case? Let me make the case. You made the case before about great goals being scored. No, no, but I I just want to say, I just want to say that I think one of the things that kind of makes the A-League great is when a new star emerges, when a new young Australian talent emerges. Like yourself at SBS. (laughs) Less of a great moment. (laughs) More of a cheap moment. But anyway, Uh, but the fact that, you know, a a player, he came on, he in the, his brother earlier in the season had been the real young superstar that we kind of got excited about. And then for him to come on and score... To me, it was so it was so exciting, and we talk about like we haven't had that many moments recently to get excited about. No, that was a moment where I was so excited, like who is this guy? What, you know, what does the future hold? So I think part of the A-League. something good. But here's the thing, though: if he never plays another A League game again, does that stay in the 32, or is that a moment that is way better, say, in five years down the track when he's an established player and we like look back on it and be like, oh, that was his yeah, first goal. I'm using my veto. I'm using it. Veto, mate. Veto. Sorry. No, that sucks, man. Sorry. I, Sorry about that. I don't think that the goal was necessarily that spectacular. It was a spectacular achievement the way that he's it was a great lead up. It, yeah, it was fine. The lead up was great. But do if we're going to go off the balance of goals being scored, I understand your sentiment is that he's the youngest player scored. But I'm, I'm using my veto as we look to wrap up. That's that's my Adelaide. Point. You just don't like Adelaide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Engelar's goal didn't make it, and that was spectacular. It was from halfway. Come on, come on, Stolich. All right, what about what about Nikki Carl's goal against Adelaide? Not to think, not to go against Adelaide yet, but I, th- I think that's him. 90th minute outside of the foot to win the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's got to go. go. That's got to go in. One more nomination left, guys. Please, uh, Riley Nisbet, Tim Cahill halfway goal against Melbourne Victory. Got already it. in there, Riley. Uh, Riley, and we've already also got um, Riley McGree scorpion kick. Thanks for those uh, nominations. Freya Allison, who happens to be Nick Stoll's girlfriend. Guys, this is a proper marathon broadcast. Well, Freya, guess what? We've had to cover 15 years of a football competition. My goodness, we could be here for another 15 hours, actually. Um, Can I veto that comment? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Vince, because you said that the final nomination pressure comes down to you. What are you nominating? Uh, for the well, someone else is definitely going to veto this, but this is the only one that comes to mind because we've got rid of all the other ones we've come up with. Um, Skilled Park, I think it's 2012, Gold Coast United, Melbourne Victory, freedom of speech on their jerseys. I think Clive Palmer had a helicopter or something as well, or maybe this might have been the week after. With a, with a big banner that said freedom of speech. All the advertising hoardings that were supposed to say hi at Coolum uh, Resort said freedom of speech. It was the most surreal thing because you knew that Clive had used this game of football as a chess move, basically, to get rid of the licence. And after the game, all anyone wanted to talk about was not the game because no one remembers the game. It was like, crap, what happens now? And I, from memory, actually, Mike Mulvey was the... Uh, interim coach after Miron had been sacked the week before 
and uh, I was in the press conference, and he said uh, he didn't even notice that freedom of speech were on the jerseys, in which t- is the most bald-faced lie in, uh, in A-League history, I reckon. But there you go. That, wasn't that the game where the 17-year-old had the armband? That was the week before. Mitch that was the week Cooper. before. Mitch yeah. Cooper. Yeah. yeah, that was up there too. But it, it, just a surrealism, freedom of speech. Can I throw up one to, to kind of contest that potentially? And I think this is a great one when we talk about characters in the league over the years. Miran Blyberg, right? I think he has to be in there purely on the basis of his post-match comments. If anyone remembers covering the game and watching the game at that time, there was one particular match. My sister, who has such disdain for football, the poor woman, tr- child as she was back then, was dragged around to all of Ned and Ivan's games. She had jack of it. So I have no pension for it whatsoever. But we were watching um, the back end of the post-match coverage of the game. I can't remember who they played against, but they won. And they were on a particularly unlucky run of form, um, terrible run of form. And he came out in the post-match presser at Please, I hope someone else remembers this. And he started rattling off a list of things and talking about himself in the third person. And one of them I distinctly remember, my sister, again, she even started laughing. She, he goes, number one, Miron Bleiberg is a good coach. And he just kept going on and on. Does anyone remember that? Am I the only one that's... The reason it? why I don't remember that is because it happened every week, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's why like, he's going to make the final 30. So, so what a moment to put in this. Like, I, I would need more time and research to find the best Miron moment. But one of the moments that comes to mind is, I think, one of the early M1 derbies. It might have even been before the one that I nominated. Uh, It was a joint press conference in Brisbane. Um, Frank Farina was coach of Brisbane Raw. And uh, Miron sent a cardboard cutout of himself instead of attending the press conference, which is a a great banter moment. That's really, really good. Ahead of its time type areas. Like, you did that today. standing over. I think that's in. I think that's in. That has to be in. Anyone contest that? Anyone want to veto it? Can I can I come up with an even better Miron? Yes, yes, raise us, raise us. If you remember when he was at Queensland Raw back in the day, uh, there was a lot of speculation that Frank Farina was actually going to take over <clears throat> from Miron as head coach, which of course ultimately he did. And Miron said to a press conference, um, you know, I used to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and see Miron Bleiberg. Now I get up, I look in the mirror, I see Frank Farina. I have paranoia. He called it paranoia. <laughs> the compilation of Miron. Oh, we, we did a compilation actually in random football identities we miss on our weekly program and he made it in there. So I think he has to be part of the final 32. Stolich, does that round us out for the full um, nominations now? I think so. I think we'll put what moment should we put uh, there? Should we put cardboard cutout Miron or Frank Farina paranoia Miron? I'll just put Miron Bleiberg. Yeah. I'll put I'll put the cardboard because it'd be visually it'll be easy to see while we put it up. So that'd be good. <laughs> I still like the Frank Farina story, guys. That about sums it up for today. This has been, as Freya Allison said, a marathon broadcast. Yeah. Gentlemen, multiple title winner Clint Bolton. Thank you so much for joining us, Sydney. It's- should we run through the thirty-two? Oh, do you want to run through the 32 or we... Socials. Just... Yeah. Butza, how much do you need to go to the bathroom right now? Badly. The poor lad has been hanging to go to the bathroom. I'm trying to get the poor lad out of here. Let Just list know. it on the website. Just list it on the website. Only two nominations will be listed on the website and social media as our Fox Sports commentator here, Simon Hill, has mentioned. Great to have your company, Simon. Thank you so much. We look Thank forward you. to hearing your voice back in the commentary box soon. We certainly hope. Sydney Morning Herald journalist Vincenzo Rigardi, great to have your company. You are a fabulous journalist game and have been for the many years that you've covered it and we truly appreciate it guys that is it i want to say a big thank you to everyone that's tuned in today 
via Facebook and uh, Twitter for all of those of you that put up your nominations. It's been duly noted and appreciated here. We love engaging with the fans and we look forward to seeing which moment will make it as the best moment in A-League history. Thanks so much for your company on behalf of myself and the entire team here at the World Game. It's goodbye for now and we'll see you again very soon.